welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal on the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Mehran, and today on Streams of Progress, I sat down with Oase Sahran, CEO of OWS Automotive. In this episode, we covered Oasis' entrepreneurial journey to recently being named Young CEO of the Year at the CEO Awards. We discussed his various entrepreneurial ventures and how his father's mentorship helped shape him into the leader he is today. We covered a lot about his various ventures, ranging from government partnerships, philanthropic causes, and celebrity collaborations. So let's dive right in. We're sitting down with Oasis Sahran, CEO of OWS Automotive. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Before we get into your entrepreneurial story and what OWS Automotive does and Rafid, let's talk about you. Let's learn about your childhood. So where does this all begin? Right. So uh, growing up, I was was, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, traveled all throughout the United States as as a child. Um, ultimately residing for about seven years back where it all started in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, heard some horror stories of the average African-American growing up in Brooklyn. You know, it's, it's a fact that you really don't see beyond the age of 25. Uh, and that's the majority because you're either dead or in jail. You know, it's it's that... It's that sad. So as early as I realized that fact, my biggest goal was to make sure that me and everyone close to me did not end up in that criteria. Um, And on the contrary, ended up doing things that were amazing and things that you did see other races fortunate enough to, to be accomplishing and uh, so that's always been my goal from the very beginning. How it would pan out, where I would end up, obviously I had no idea. You know, I'd, uh, I didn't even know what UAE was or or the next five states over, for that matter. But it was just I knew what I did not want to be. And thank God I'm proud of where me, my brothers, and closest cousins and family members have reached at this point. So what brought you over to the UAE, or when was that? So my dad was always a entrepreneur, in a more Brooklyn term, a hustler, and uh, we we always looked up to him as the business mind behind just greatness. And and whatever he did, he was he was a superstar at it. You know, to to marry my mom and start a household of his own, he was actually a martial arts teacher and uh, studied with uh, famous actor Steven Seagal in New York, same dojo. I turned that into a, not a business, but he made a living off of it. Did some security for Michael Jackson, which most people don't know. And uh, all of that he was doing while telling himself, this will not be my career or this is merely just to pay for my education and getting getting over to the next level so it's 
it's always been with my dad a roller coaster of, you know, we'd go from living on food stamps to living in $10 million mansions and then back to food stamps again. And then uh, until once, once he said he was done living, actually it was my mom who said she was done living a roller coaster life and my dad needed to find stability, even if that meant get a job at T-Mobile or AT&T or, you know, a more stable nine to fiver. And it's, I think it was then when he said, no, I'll take this as a personal challenge and become ultimately successful and stay successful. So he traveled to the Middle East and had an innovative technology that he uh, really was the founder of, and it was TerraBlock construction. They would take literally sand, create cast blocks, and build uh, low-budget homes or low-income homes with them. So his first project was refugees that migrated to Saudi Arabia, and the Saudi government was funding these low-budget homes for them. He did a few hundred of those and then realized that it can become a little more than low-budget homes and you can do cooler things with them. So that was his first bit of success. However, he uh, he wasn't very, very, uh, I would say, business savvy because business, you, you tend to learn that having a great idea and understanding, it's not simply just that. It's also the legal aspects of everything. So he, very simple things like patent technology and and having non-disclosure signed and all that, he just didn't do it. And it came back and bit him. So he lost that, came back to America. We started all over again. And then he went to Georgia Tech University, got his PhD in mechanical engineering. And then it's been uh, great from there. You know, he's been successful ever since. And on the contrary, we've moved all of us from the U.S. to uh, to the Middle East. Your whole family? Whole direct family. Uh, everyone under my dad's responsibility moved to Dubai, where he was doing mostly automotive-related, but more on a government level with different governments where he'd provide government solutions for defense uh, or different militaries that were U.S. allies uh, around the the neighboring uh, countries of the UAE. And it, again, became what he was a pioneer in. He was probably the first to privatize... um, government contracting, especially on a defense level in the region. And then you've had several companies that kind of followed his footsteps. But before that, it was all something called FMS, which is uh, abbreviation of foreign military sales that the U.S. government would supply on a government-to-government level with all their ally countries. And it's for things like rice and, you know, um, sometimes even spare parts and boots and uniforms. and So he kind of got in the middle of it and made great margins, and that was his big, big success. 
This was when you were in high school. Like you went back to university in Maryland, right? So, so I when we moved here, here is in Dubai. I was nine years old. Yeah, I was nine years old, and we stayed here for a solid three years. Uh, then, for some of my siblings which were older, it was it was difficult, you know, going from one culture to the to the extreme opposite of what you're born into and grown accustomed to was really difficult. So we realized it wouldn't really work. Most of the family moved back to the States, and we were um, visiting each other on a uh, quarterly basis every three, four months or so. Um, but that me, I, w- I was always a attached to my dad and always wanted to get into his business and and be like him you know he was obviously my my idol in the sense of you know I was trying to dress like him I'd wear his suits I would just do uh, every single thing I would see him doing right or wrong dad did it so why not um so I was living under his supervision dropped out of school um after the grade, I want to say grade nine was my last academic um, school year. And then uh, I went into this uh, real life college, which was working under my dad, traveled to 55 countries in five or six years. Uh, My mom, however, really wanted me to get my degree, like most moms. My dad kind of was like, look, I did it away, so I, I went through the highest level of it. I have a PhD, and it really didn't do much for me unless you anticipate working behind a desk at, at someone else's company. You really don't need it. And uh, I'm not encouraging not going to school by any means, but well, what I did was uh, kind of listened to both of them or gave both of them what they wanted and what I wanted, which was to... Uh, go back and do my general education diploma, GED, GED, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a uh, you know term most people aren't familiar with. But I don't have a uh, a high school diploma. I have a GED, and and my class was, you know, a lot of, uh, for lack of better terms, bums that live on the streets of New York and kind of wanted to go back and make things right after they were fifty, sixty years old. Uh, those were my graduating uh, classmates, and I wasn't as old, but you know I was still a lot older than I should have been getting my high school diploma. Did you do reunions with them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we I actually am still in touch with a guy named Keith who was West Indian, uh, which is also where my mom's originally from, Barbados. So we. Uh, we, he's he's working for the city now. He's doing sanitary services, so working, cleaning the city of New York, making good money, uh, and that GD really helped him with his career. So I'm ha- I, I'm I'm happy to kind of exchange stories on where some of us has ended up. One of them, one of the classmates, is actually a teacher now, English teacher. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing where it took us. But uh, that document was just to get me into college, which was my mom's dream so uh, not everyone accepted GEDs especially because I didn't want to go on campus I wanted to be 
still working for my dad and uh, doing something more remote, which is why I chose UMUC, University of Maryland, because they offered a really comprehensive online program, um, which was hard but very feasible for what I was doing because most of my time was spent on planes and sometimes in really boring meetings that I had no clue what was going on anyway, and I wasn't allowed to speak. You know, I was more listening, absorbing. So I'd be studying and doing uh, uh, projects with real-life examples and, you know, case studies. And so it really worked out well for, for you know, I graduated with a really high grade. Uh, I, had to, I did go to campus for two semesters, but... Uh, and I'd have proctored exams like in the U.S. embassies or whatever. And it really worked out. And then I went back and did some Harvard uh, business school programs as well. Uh, But if I compare what I learned in a classroom or through my academics versus what I learned in real life, simply no comparison. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, I have to agree with my dad, it's not that important, especially if you have dreams and anticipations of doing your own thing and uh that's that's where i am today you know i'm actually independent of my dad completely now so it seems like your dad was a great mentor to you how do you think that shaped the way you went about let's say pursuing your own things or your own entrepreneurial story well well again my dad was a great mentor i can't deny that obviously um you know i walk like him sit like him you know dress like him uh he's 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 the definitely the shadow i walk in um but it working under him it became too much of the shadow i walked in where he has he runs a large conglomerate now that was built off of you know his humble beginnings but he has hundreds of employees and really aggressive board um, as they should be, and I, I hated it because I was looked at as the child who had a silver spoon in his mouth, even though I didn't have a silver spoon. And actually, at times, again, I was you know eating off of food stamps. Um, they couldn't believe or fathom the fact that maybe I did work my way up, maybe I did have some God gift talent somewhere. You know, it was always criticism, criticism, and more criticism. So I told my dad, look. I'm making great money working for you, making great commissions on closing deals, which I was talented at. And, you know, it's his biggest talent also. Uh, But I I wasn't happy. So he said, "Okay, what do you want to do? I'll support it and, you know, we'll figure out what you want to do. So I decided to get into a similar line of business, but 100 percent civilian, civilian in the sense of not military related. And uh, that's that's where where I ended up, and it actually started in 2012 when I separated from the MZ Holding conglomerate and created the OWS automotive brand with my brothers, who are all very instrumental in our day to day, and uh, I'd say pillars of the company, obviously. Um, to answer your question, he played the only role other than God's role in who I am today. 
So uh, MZ Holdings, just going back real quick, MZ Holdings was the company you talked about, your dad's conglomerate. Yeah. Uh, and the main focus was military-based Military-surrounded projects that then had offsprings that led into oil and gas and um, construction and real estate. And um, there, there's, I want to say, 27 subsidiaries today. All of them are successful. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a really well respected, well known group in the Middle East. And uh, OWS, when you launched that OWS Automotive, it was you and your brothers, and you were yeah. leading them. Yeah, so it's uh, me and me and uh, four of my brothers, who, like I said today, all have very important roles in the company, and uh, help me with key decisions. It's it's a real blessing to have family that you can rely on because it's it's strength and it's unity and it's uh, you know the obvious reason why it's the United Arab Emirates and not Dubai and Abu Dhabi and because you're stronger together. That being said, yeah, we it's me and my brothers. We're growing at a exponential rate. We're launching mega projects every couple of weeks that would take years in other places and uh, circumstances. And what is the main line of business for OWS Automotive? It's automotive solutions as a whole. And the, the, the automotive world is so vast and diverse in terms of... This is, this is a, one of my dad's teachings again. We were in Abu Dhabi at the time and we stood on a bridge. Uh, I used to work as his driver, by the way, <laughs> for for about a year and a half. So one of the times we were driving home and he asked me to stop on the airport road bridge in Abu Dhabi, pull over in the yellow lane. And he, he was weird like that. You know, he'd have these, these uh, examples that would all be based on real life and things you'd never forget. This was 12, 15 years ago. So I pulled over thinking that I did something stupid or, you know, cops flagged us or something. And he told me to get out. So, so you know, I'm like, what are you going to do, throw me off the bridge? Like, what did I do? So uh, we get out and we're standing. And he said, what do you see? I said, shit ton of cars. Or he said, that's it? I said, yeah. Or he said, well, if you can't become a multimillionaire, out of these cars, then there's something wrong with you. And this is one of the easiest ways to become successful in this. You know, just, just on the cars that are passing by on this bridge in the 15 minutes we've been standing here, it was hot as hell, um, you can become very successful and run a very profitable business. And then we got in the car and drove home and I didn't think much of it other than, you know, it was random and weird and awkward and everything else. But uh, later on, I thought about it. And when I looked at the options of, of segregating myself from, from the conglomerate, that was one of the pillars. And I remember that example and understand it more and more now, 15 years later, because when I partnered, for example, with the government of Sharjah to go into one of the... Uh, subsidiary companies of OWS, we 
we created this brand called Rafid Automotive Solutions that was initially going to do everything OWS Automotive does. And then it morphed into this giant that's doing everything you can think of that has to do with anything cars, you know, like vehicle testing and registration. I never thought I'd be in that. You know, we're we're more or less the DMV of of Sharjah. And it's weird, but again, going back to my point of or my dad's point of how vast this world is. And uh that's that's OWS I think is a fine example for entrepreneurs millennials that are looking to get into a easy to do business um, because it's just that it can be as easy or as complex as you want it to be as small or as big as you want it to be to give you an example you can do car sale brokerage with nothing other than a computer and access to the internet you, know, you could you could do your your do Brazil searches on cars and deals that are on Copart and other auction houses and broker that and make good money doing it. And I have a few friends that do do that and make a lot of money. You could do a car tinting shop and tint vehicles and make good money. As long as the demand is there and the supply is is less than the demand, then there's there's massive opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So this Rafid Automotive Solutions, that's a joint venture with the, the yes, government? Sir. So Rafid is a joint venture with the government. The government owns the majority of the company, which is fine. We provide all of the know-how and technicality behind the company. But to go back to OWS, you asked me what does OWS do. So OWS proper, which is uh, the private company, we do... Everything from fleet solutions to spare parts, a lot of parts remanufacturing. So you'd have a old compressor off of a Toyota Land Cruiser that's three or five years old. It's broken. You want a replacement part for it. Uh, we would take your part, remanufacture it, and give it back to you with a lifetime warranty at 50% the cost of a new one. And that's what we pioneered in the region as well. It's it's what all this Rafid and other subsidiaries of OWS was based off of, you know, the, the pioneering of, um, of uh, remanufacturing. So from remanufactured spare parts to these primarily fleet companies, so organizations like the Dubai RTA, the Dubai Police, Avis Rent-A-Car were some of our first customers. But now I'd say proudly almost every fleet in the region, if they're not using OWS parts, they're in the process of becoming a customer. And <laughs> it's it was, uh, it was a really, really prestigious thing that I was able to say to... to uh, my brothers and uh, close family members is the fact that in OWS, every meeting we walk into was a sale. You know, it's not like you're going to make a sales pitch and you're not certain of the outcome because once they understand the benefits and what you're providing, it's a no brainer. And that's, that's the value of, and it's why we have over 700 employees today. 
we grew exponentially as soon as people realized what we're on to. And uh, uh, the sky's the limit. So that's OWS's story. Um, Rafid, the joint venture with the Sharjah government, is primarily focusing on three lines of business. One is a uh, accident reporting platform where if I were to hit your car, God forbid, in a mall parking lot, but it was minor, which is the majority of the accidents today, instead of calling the police whose job is emergencies and everything police. Life-threatening. Life-threatening. You know, me scratching your car and you calling the cops just because you need an accident report isn't necessarily efficient for anyone, you know? And also you. You don't want to be dealing with the police for, you know, you, you it's really... It's like it's escalating the yeah, situation. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Now it just got really serious for, for nothing. So that's what we were able to fill in the gaps on and provide a salute, turnkey solution to the to the government of Sharjah and everyone involved with accident reporting. So is that a mobile app, or how does that work? It's so it's, it's both ways. We encourage to use it, uh, use the app and do it yourself, but this is not a very big DIY market uh, for obvious reasons, but we do have an app that we'd prefer if you do it that way. It's cheaper, it's quicker, it's uh, more efficient. However, in the in the case or in the scenario that you don't want to use the app, you can call an 800 number in three to five minutes. The nearest unit uh, accident surveyor would arrive, survey accident, and give you a report, which you can now get your car fixed with and uh, pay me my fee for surveying the accident, and everyone's happy. So that's one of the main businesses of Rafid today. We also do... Like I said, DMV services, so things like state emission passing and registration and um, just making sure your vehicle is roadworthy and safe to be on the road. We do... So do you have multiple workshops around that people can... We have five locations where you can get that service done in the Emirate and uh, geographically spread out based on demographics. We also have quick service solutions for, for... the general public. So like oil changes and... Yeah, so in the U.S. it'll be like a Pet Boys or an AutoZone. Okay, yeah, yeah. One of those, which doesn't, again, exist here. Um, We also do quick service and maintenance for the governments exclusively. So all these governments have thousands of police cars and school buses and municipality vehicles, and they're not really good at fixing cars and buying spare parts and then they shouldn't have to be you know when you're a police force again your job is not fixing cars when you're a taxi company your job isn't fixing cars yeah, it's not know? parts management and, yeah. <laughs> and supply chain and best sources and is this genuine or not and so what better way other than to have a semi-government entity that you can trust you have full access and transparency into what the books look like what's going on do it for you. And that's that's one of the gaps that Rafid filled as well. And obviously in the process, OWS made made uh, great revenue and, and profits off of such a service. So everybody's happy. I call it a win-win. Let's move on to another, I think it's a bit more well-known maybe, subsidiary, which was Voltron Motors. Right. So if you could please tell our audience what Voltron Motors is and how to even come about because there's, you know, there's a bit of right. brand name or celebrity right. name with it as well. 
So, uh, you know, me and, uh, me and Tyrese are literally best friends. And Tyrese Gibson, right? Tyrese Gibson. Uh, we were talking about this, funny enough, yesterday on a phone call. Uh, the fact that in a world where there are just so many not genuine people, unfortunately, or, or I shouldn't say that, but people with agendas and, and, you know, shadiness and trying to take advantage. And it's, it's rare that you find a quality friend and a quality partner that you can actually do business with not worrying about you know is he undercutting this so he can make that and is he using me for this so that he can do that and so um we were talking about this just yesterday you know the fact that he's who he is I told him I don't lead with the fact that we're best friends because a lot of times people would think that it's well yeah of course it's cool to say a celebrity is my best friend and uh, he said, you know, don't feel bad about it at all because he gets the same thing when he tells people, I'm his best friend. People think, okay, well, this guy's in the Middle East making, you know, great money and you're good friends because you want to take advantage of. So his, his, uh, his answer was, let's live by what makes us happy and not worry about everyone else. And that's, that's what we're doing. So Voltron, Voltron Motors... UAE is a partnership between uh, Tyrese Gibson and and uh, OWS. We specialize in again automotive solutions, but with more of a cool factor uh, approach to it. So think of a Tyrese approach to it. Where I mean, the guy is a uh, artist. You know, he's a he's a genius by by talent and has a sense of uh, you know, when he adds his touch to it, he's not adding his touch, and he operates under alias names whenever he's doing business because he just doesn't want it to be a situation where, yeah, it's cool because it's Tyrese. No, he wants to actively compete with uh, with everyone else. So one of our projects is these vehicles that we did for the RTA of Dubai. It's a Mercedes Viano that's completely outfitted like a Rolls Royce and completely designed by Tyrese. That's the most, I'd say the project we're most famous for. And then we have uh, several more projects that include airport solutions uh, for more efficient waiting areas um, in the airports. I won't talk too much about it because it's still uh, very confidential, but we're we're we we're trying to specialize on very selective projects and very innovative, creative projects. Money is not the first criteria here um, because we have other things that make us the majority of our money. So it's well known for a bit of also luxury customizations, yeah. right? For the I would cars. say it's definitely catered to the luxury segment of of uh, not just cars but anything you know i mean even once you see what we're doing to some of these regional airports you're going to be blown away <laughs> speaking of luxury cars uh, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the luxury vehicle market in the uae because uh, you know if tourists come here and they see all these cars and they're like whoa like yeah so what are your thoughts on 
How um, much? So I'm I'm a victim of of the luxury car market in the UAE, and it's I have a uh, COO who I hired from Atlanta, Georgia, a month or a month and a half ago, and uh, he was telling me how much he bought his Range Rover SVR for for his wife. And I looked at him like, what? Really? How's that even possible? So he spent literally 30% of what that car would cost at any dealership in the Middle East. And that blows my mind completely. Uh, What exactly you get out of it and why is it worth so much more money? There is literally no justification for it. And if anything, the U.S. car is much more, uh, not much more, but it's more sturdy, more, uh, because they do think there's uh, the FMSS qualification, which is to make sure the vehicle doesn't roll over and it's word worthy and things like that that don't necessarily exist here yet. Um, So first of all, the vehicles are way too expensive here. Second of all, the... The overall luxury car market is oversaturated. So now you have this situation where you have these really, really expensive cars that everybody is selling and nobody is buying. So what do you do in that situation? So, I mean, look, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to be a luxury car dealer in today's market uh, in this region because it's just it's it's the wrong business to be in and I'm I'm friends with a lot of regional uh, dealers and they all tell me the reality of what's going on and it's it's just not pretty you know I'm I'm thankful really thankful that I'm in the after sale side of things and not the uh, new car sale side of things because that's a automotive piece of business that you'd want to stay as far away from (laughs) yeah all right let's move on away from the cars let's talk about your philanthropic work Mm -hmm. specifically when we were doing our research we saw you have a few clean drinking water projects going on in ghana and nigeria can you elaborate a bit more about what those are and where do they come about yeah so uh if you've if you've been to west africa or even uh seen like some of these documentaries on National Geographic and so on and so forth. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard stories of how bad the situation is over there. Well, it's actually worse. You know, it's it's worse than what's being portrayed. You don't have to be uh, a millionaire to want to do good to help people in that situation and no matter where they are in the world. But when when Mothers are traveling 15, 20 kilometers by foot in climate sometimes very similar to the weather in Dubai, um, excluding the AC part, to get dirty water and water that is so contaminated that it looks like, well, it's actually mud water. You know, it's not really... Uh, you it breaks your heart, and then you know when you see where she has to, where she has to go, and what she has to do to even get that water. You feel like you know if you had 
$2 in your pocket, you would, and you can have a, a heart as rock solid as, you know, this floor, you would give up one of those dollars just to make a difference, you know, regardless to what religious faith, you know, or, or what political party or just from a being human perspective. So that's, that's the, uh, that's the main reason why I got into it. And a good friend of mine was the Nigerian ambassador to Abu Dhabi uh, five or six years ago. And he's the one who really opened my eyes on what was going on there. And of course, you also, Africa's done a good job on creating this uh, scenario where you, you can't trust everyone there and more so than other places in the world. You know, there's a lot of fraud and scam. And so if it wasn't through the ambassador, I probably wouldn't even have done what I've done just because of the, the uh, fear of, you know, your money ending up in the wrong hands, in the hands of someone who claims they're going to do good and does the opposite. So what we do there is drill for water deep enough to uh, find cleaner water, and then we filter it. And families would have almost like memberships with us where per day they get a certain amount of water. And it's a rationing or quota yeah. system? Yeah. yeah. Um, we're doing our best to expand the number of trucks and rigs that we have there. We need very, very, uh, I would say, durable vehicles to, and that's the most expensive part really, is the durable vehicles that would go on some of these rigorous terrains to, to drill for the water. And that's, uh, but, it, but it's a business I'm really, or a project I'm really proud of. And it's a project I'm really proud of. And I definitely think that more people should be aware of what that situation is in Africa. And I'm, look, there's, there's people out there that make what I'm doing look like nothing. But in that regard, I don't think it's about competition. It's about doing what you can to help humanity. It's that simple. It's a really great project. <laughs> it seems you. like you're involved with so many projects. What does uh, your typical day look like? Do you jump around projects? Do you allocate certain days for certain projects? Well, uh, that's a good question. And, you know, honestly, like this weekend, usually weekends don't mean much for me because I'm still working throughout the weekend. But this weekend I turned off my phone uh, for two and a half days and it felt absolutely amazing. And, you know, I come to work on Sunday, which is when the week starts, and see that I didn't miss out on anything. So I think us entrepreneurs, especially when you're starting, you there's a misperception about how hard you have to work. You do have to work hard. But you have to work smarter than hard as well. And a lot about working smarter than hard includes you giving yourself time to recover. And think of it like you're working out. And if you're in the gym 12 hours a day, you're probably not going to get any of the gains you're looking for. And you would most probably uh, suffer you know, body injuries and 
maybe permanent damage to your back. And, and so it's the same exact way that I've learned in business. And uh, uh, no one taught me that, actually. I, I learned that on my own. The fact that you do need to give yourself some time away from everything, you know. And I used to, uh, I used to tell everyone that I'm going to retire when I'm 30 years old. That's one year from now, and friends would look at me and say, "No, dude, just take some time off, and you'd be all right." So, I'm speaking as if you know I've been doing this from day one, and that's not the case. I've been working nonstop from day one, and now it's more of, "Look, I am going to give myself some time off. I don't need to work as hard because it's not going to necessarily change that much." Um, that being said, organization, structure, scheduling, planning is critical to success. And without it, you will not get very far. I can promise you that. You can only show up on the wrong day so many times to a meeting. You know what I mean? And, and have conflicts so many times to a meeting. So uh, structuring is very important of your schedule. Uh, what's also very important is prioritizing and allocating enough time to things that are the most important uh, and then segregating things that are not so important. from. And there will be times when you have to simply say no. And uh, that's one of the things I've gotten better at is saying no to everyone that has a good idea that they think is a good idea, but it's not a good idea for me. For whatever reason, so uh, I mean, yeah, I am busy. No one can say I'm not busy. I have an average of thirteen meetings a day, so it's it is a lot. But I try to keep them short, efficient, straight to the point. Do you have any personal routines or habits that you think are very unique to your style of management or to your style of living? I guess. Uh, well, we uh, our family has always been, and I say our family, starting from my dad down. We've always considered exercise as a fundamental part of who you are and it, it creates uh, a path that is not just, you know, health driven, but it's also personality development and so on and so forth. So we are firm believers, all of us, in the fact that if you don't get in your forty five minutes is why I'm looking at my Fitbit, you know, in our in our interviews, you know, thinking thinking about how many steps I got in and how many uh, more calories I need to burn. But that that is to me just as important as this interview was on my schedule. You know what I mean? Like it's something that you don't want to miss. It's something that you want to show up for, and you really have to show up for, especially you know, in my head, what's going on for me. So. Uh, that's one of the things I would say that I don't deviate away from. You know, every day at 5.30, I'm in the morning, I'm working out. It uh, helps me clear my head and plan the day forward. It's not even about a six-pack anymore. It's about just getting through the day and uh, building a better a better self. So you're consciously prioritizing the workout yeah. or the exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's not about competing or, you know, who has the heaviest lift really i mean that's the fun part and we do do a lot of that me and my brothers um but it's also about the uh the uh what it does for for you as a human just like you're developing your career and your business and your uh, 
education, you need to be constantly developing your physical ability. We're going to move on to our rapid fire questions. It can mm-hmm. be a short, long answer, whatever you want. This, these are questions we pretty much ask all our guests. If you could post a message on one of the big billboards on Sheikh Zayed Road, you know, going towards Abu Dhabi, going towards Sharjah, something for people passing through Dubai to see, tourists, residents, everyone, what would that message be? Um, I'd say, first of all, make it very short, very direct, and of some relevance to the average person. So if I were to if I were to write that message, it would be something having to do with who I am, my success, based on real experience. Like I saw this one uh, article that I read about and it got taken down that, you know, ten minutes of yoga can eliminate diabetes. Oh yeah, the the, the false advertising yeah. article. Did, yeah, did yeah, the, the yeah. Yogi. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's something you don't want to write. You don't want to, you know, put anything in front of millions of eyeballs that is not true. And I don't even know what the benefit of that is. But anyway, um, it would be something more along the lines of, you know, what I was able to uh, share this morning in terms of success tips and what exactly that is. I, d- I don't know today, but it will be one of the things that I've said on this uh, podcast interview. So we'll take a phrase from what you said yeah. and say that's on the billboard. Feel free to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a good friend of mine who's a Navy SEAL in the U.S. Uh, government. And he always, uh, I mean, obviously it's a famous phrase, but he always used to tell me, you know, train hard, fight easy. And I, I, I lead with that, you know. So it'll probably be something along the lines of be ready. I like that as well. Train hard, fight easy. It's about being ready, right? Being ready for the fight. So it's easy. If there's a book you would gift to people, or if there's a book you have gifted to people, what is your favorite book to gift? Tyrese's book. It's uh, it's a book he he, uh, published, I want to say, 10 years ago, called How to Get Out of My Own Way. And again, not because he's, I'm not, first of all, I don't read too many books. I know, you know, everything you see about CEOs reading 60 books a week or whatever it is, I'm not one of those. Uh, so, so of the books that I've read, one of my favorites is Tyrese, and I don't think I'm being biased about it, but uh, the topic and what's in there in terms of real life examples, and I've given probably no less than 100 copies away as gifts to people especially if I feel like it can help them in what they're going through. It's called How to Get Out of Your Own Way. Uh, very, very uh, helpful in whatever you're dealing with, and everybody's dealing with something. It could be you know, a, a company that's not getting off the ground, uh, a, a personal relationship, a son that's being disobedient, or wh- whatever the case may be. It's, it covers some of everything. We'll pick that up and check it out. Do you have a personal hobby you do on the weekends or maybe after work? I don't know uh, if you have an after work, but on weekends, I would say. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I really enjoy research and research. And I think we underestimate the power of of research and what's out there and and what's what's being implemented elsewhere. And I just enjoy browsing Google 
You know, like I would be browsing Google about, and most people don't even know this about me. I'd spend hours in my free time looking up topics on Google, the most random stuff that would, ha- and it doesn't even have to be business related, you know? So uh, I realized that's one of my hobbies, you know, uh, researching random topics on the internet. That's actually an interesting one. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, again, it's all this information at your fingertips that someone somewhere spent a lot of time, effort, and possibly money on developing something that you can have for no cost. If there was a dream initiative you could see the UAE do, what would you like to see them try and do? We know Expo 2020 is coming, so there's a lot of, uh, say, grand, innovative projects going on. Mm -hmm. If there's one of your bidding that could be done, what would it be? I would focus more on... Look, I know the UAE is doing a lot of this already, but I would focus more on opening doors to everyone in terms of helping out some of these people that I mentioned. I'm doing my little piece of helping. Uh, But I think if a place like the UAE extended its its, uh, arm of support and help to... And I don't mean financial aid and sending them food and water and money, but I mean giving some of these these uh, families that were born in poverty and unfortunate circumstances, you know, give them the opportunity to come here and, and shine. That would mean so much to me, and it's always been on my mind, and I've even mentioned it to several leaders that I've met in this uh, in this country, and hope that sooner or later will start to materialize and and I would say that in Sharjah they've uh, they've began doing some of that through a foundation called the Big Heart Foundation owned by uh, Her Highness Sheikha Jawahar who's the who's the wife of the ruler of Sharjah she's doing a really good job all over the world and again like I said it's not about I think in my opinion it's not about your faith or your Belief, political or otherwise, it's about just uh, helping humanity, and it's it's sad to see that so much of that still exists, and we're we're so fortunate to be able to sit here, you know, in this beautiful uh, office and this beautiful weather, um, and and escape what's going on, you know, outside the humidity, the heat, the the. Uh, poverty in some of these countries that you know the fact that we have you know clean water and and unlimited sources and supplies of it and so i i i would want to see i don't again i don't say let's give them fish i'd say let's take them to the lake and show them how to fish that's what i want to see more of so a project like that you would yeah, giving back an initiative like that and i'd be a proud investor and supporter of something like that because it means just so much to me and it doesn't even have to be people that are living in poverty. It could be people that, and it's just as important, I think, take, again, the projects. I grew up in in New York, you know, the fact that you don't see it pass. And this is Googleable, real, published statistics that, you know, you, if you're African-American, you're not going to see beyond the age of 25 in, in Brooklyn, Harlem, 
Queens, you know, most of the, and I'm sure it's not just New York, it's most of the United States, you know. So how do we help those people? You know, how do we pull them out of that environment? And I think it's something that societies are overlooking. Uh, obviously, the UAE's responsibility is in the world, but uh, being such a world player and, and doing such great things on an international level, like the World Expo, let's, uh, let's start at least considering some initiatives to help out in other ways. That's really nice. Uh, lastly, do you have any words of wisdom you would like to share with our listeners? Potential, let's say, entrepreneurs out there just getting started. Yeah, um, I think I definitely want to just encourage young entrepreneurs or old entrepreneurs or whatever your situation is just just do it you know get get started uh, for example we're taking over a uh, a company as we speak and there's a lot of unknowns and what i told my team this morning actually was guys take the first step because those unknowns and the uncertainties of you know how do we process this invoice under this new company that doesn't exist yet and all of those challenges would be there you know if you have a a dream of you know starting your own uh, nail salon but are afraid of some of the issues you're going to encounter as long as your fundamental issues are there and you can get a trade license and you can you know rent a place or get started and even if you can't rent a place you know speak to your friends and come up with the money to to do it as partners and you know just get started because other all we have is time right and time should be utilized the right way especially if you're an entrepreneur or on your way to becoming a business owner or a business person uh, time is is everything I want to thank you, but before we leave, is there any place our listeners can learn more about you, about the initiatives, your projects? What's the best place to maybe follow you? So on Instagram, I post uh, quite a bit of stuff, and my Instagram is awais.zahran, my first name, dot last name. Um, I also have a personal website, which is, again, awais.zahran, or it's awais-zahran.com. And hopefully I'll be doing a lot more just eye-opening initiatives that people can follow. Because I do want to share some of my successes and some of the stories I've seen that uh, can benefit people. Some of these you mentioned I I didn't know much about and now (laughs) I've learned a lot more about them. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. You can find this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash OWS. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.